1: Hello and welcome back to The Gridiron Show. Firstly, thank you for all your fine and, uh, well, that's not fine, but kind feedback uh, for the first show last week uh, with our new team we've put together. Uh, we're back and we are back. In on a, well, It's been a relatively quiet week on the news front right in the NFL. I don't know if anyone's noticed. I mean, we managed to react to Rodgers and Wilson last week. And, of course, predictably after we sat here and said that Oh, maybe Tom Brady comes back, but there's no way he comes back a Buccaneer. Tom Brady does return for the 2022 season. Lord knows what Cristiano Ronaldo said to him at Old Trafford, but it looked like it did the business. Uh, and then we get a first day of free agency where with the expanded cap, the money begins to fly again. Uh, I'm Will Gavin, delighted Delight, say, uh, joining me Gridiron editor, Ollie Connolly. Uh, Ollie, we've got loads of stuff we want to get into in this show. And, and as we talked about on last week, the idea of the show will be we'll take a big topic and we'll get in depth with it, we'll get X's and O's, we'll get, uh, you know, into the, the crevices of the game that you want to hear more about, but there's so much for us to cover this week. We're going to do a bit of a free agency special, but it does still feel like the most significant news is Tom Brady returning to Tampa Bay and returning to Tampa Bay with, as it stands right now with their cap situation, a reduced quality of line in front of him, of team around him. Are we convinced that just Tom Brady alone turns this team back into the uh, favourites for the NFC, which is what they were touted as almost immediately on uh, on Tuesday? Yeah, I think so. I... They've done a
2: pretty good job. I'm fascinated to see how they make all this work with the money. I don't know what kind of capture, canary, fake void years, 12 year contracts that are really one year (laughs) contracts. I mean, they have, by bringing back Carlton Davis and the pieces they have brought back, and maybe they can talk Ali Marpet into returning, you know, once they get to training camp, and it looks like they could have a Super Bowl ride here. It's they have really gone all in, which I admire and said, look, in two years, this guy will not be here and it will be a complete mess. And who cares? We'll all retire. Bruce Arians will retire. Jason Light will step away and go run another team somewhere or run a hedge fund. Let's just go and try and win a championship and we'll leave the Glazers carrying the bag in 24 months. And I admire it. and I, you know, I'm not an admirer of the Glazers by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they really stood firm. here. And I, I do think Brady was interested in going and playing in Miami or going and playing in San Francisco. And they said, look, it's just not happening. We know you're Tom Brady. Love all that. Love that you're the greatest of all time, but you are finishing your career as a Buccaneer whilst we have you under contract. We're not moving the deal. And so he decided after two months away and spending time in Marbella and wherever else, and Salford, you know, what, what, once he spent one night in Salford, Will, he was like, get me back to Tampa. I'm going to go and play football again. Um, you know, so, but so, yeah. Some would
1: suggest that Tampa is the Salford of Florida, <laughs> to be honest, but uh, Salford's got nice now, right? It's, it's all yeah, gone up market. Yeah, yeah, it's all fancy now. Um, so I think he I
2: really think he sat and looked at this and he knows he's still really good. He played at an MVP level last year. I thought he was the MVP of the league. And he's looking around and seeing no Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers in a situation where their cap is a complete travesty. God knows what they're going to do with that the financial flexibility. Now, those numbers have come out. Sixty seven million dollars a year on the cap for Aaron Rodgers in 2023. Ludicrous. And he just thought, look. If I roll this thing back, even without Ali Marpet, even losing Alex Kappa, we're at worst the fourth best team in the NFL. And if, if I go into, at least in the NFC, if we go into the playoffs and I've got me and I'm Tom Brady and I'm homicidally competitive, we have a chance. And why why would I not just do it for one more year whilst I have a chance my body can still hold up doing it?
1: It's interesting you mentioned the Rogers situation as well because doing a, a not dissimilar thing there where it looks like they've just gone, look, we expect that in two years' time, maybe three, Aaron will walk away and retire anyway. I I think essentially they've given themselves a two-year window to go and win a Super Bowl and... and As much as people wanna look and say, well, you're just delaying the cap, you're just pushing things back, you're making it difficult for future teams. Only one thing matters in the NFL. The NFL is a team where one team wins, a league where one team wins and 31 don't. And so if you have to be the LA Rams and give up all those first round picks and not pick in the draft and uh, have to keep pushing the cap into the future and hope that it goes up enough to cover your roster, but you get a ring, that's all that actually matters.
2: Yeah, and you have this psychodrama playing out, which is really similar to if you watch The Last Dance documentary of Michael Jordan of management versus star player. Star player who considers himself an artist, not just, you know, a product on a field. And they're all this is a legacy play for everyone in the building, right? They have to come away from this period with a ring. It is a knock on everyone from now until the end of time. If Aaron Rodgers career has one suit boring, it's a silly way to do the measurements. We probably shouldn't do it this way. It's probably not a fair way to do it. It just is also the reality and it's going to hit Guttenhurst or it's going to hit Rodgers. Right. So they're all looking at each other in a standoff in a cap standoff saying you pay the money. it's going to be your legacy on the line if we don't win one. No, it's going to be your legacy on the line if you don't win one. And they've all just decided, let's do this thing for for two more years by the looks of it. Like you said, I mean, this is all but certainly a two-year commitment because if he walked away from next year, I think it is $70 million in debt money or something like that if he retired next year. And I would not put it above Aaron Rodgers to leave the Packers holding that bag on his behalf. Um, he certainly showed he would be willing to do something like that on 24 hours' notice. And I do love that he went from saying, uh, you know, I might not play, I might retire to hand me $50 million a year for three years. That you, you have to admire the, the finesse from that point of view. But yeah, they also will enter next season rolling everything back, Devondre Campbell back, Devontae Adams will be back. They now have what the highest paid, will have the highest paid wide receiver, quarterback, left tackle, linebacker, cornerback in the history of the game, heading into next season. How they make that work once the league year kicks in, I have absolutely no idea, but they will have a loaded roster.
1: Right, let's get into some of the actual free agency moves then that we've seen in the first day of, well, just the legal tampering period at the moment before the league officially Gets underway, and uh, I think I want to start with defensive backs. I think defensive players overall have been the the, the most interesting position changes over the last two or three days. But uh, let's start off with J.C. Jackson to the Chargers. Five years, eighty-two point five. As I will bang on about both today for the next few days till the end of time ignore those headline numbers look at the guarantees look at the first two years of the contract look at when the opt-out is available on dead cap space it's 40 million dollars guaranteed over the first two years it's a big contract for a guy who as much as he was brilliant for the patriots over recent season not a lot of patriots players leave the defensive scheme there and go on and perform well elsewhere how big is this move for the chargers do you see it working
2: I really like it. I think the age profile is excellent. 26 years old. He's basically just a bump and run man coverage corner. So picking that up and moving it somewhere else isn't as concerning as a lot of what the Patriots do is wink and nods in coverage. They run these really complex hybrid zone man coverage concepts that yes, it's a lot of kind of, it takes a lot of intellectual space to run through those things. And so you learn over time. And then as you peek in that, you leave and go somewhere else. Someone says, play press man. You're looking around going, Oh, we did not do that in new England. I was told to hand that off in new England. And now I'm covering Amari Cooper down the field and I'm panicking." Jackson was a bit different. They really moved last season in new England into a pure disguise based defense. Cause they had this one special, lockdown cover corner and the big issue the Chargers had last year beyond the run defense that I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit is they were really predictable in terms of their coverage package Brandon Staley's whole thing is I pick one or two things a week and we lean all the way into that for that week we run as diverse a defense as anyone in the league and I'll flip to whatever coverage I think is necessary over the course of the season so it's a really big playbook but week to week it's one two things and we go all the way into that and because of the issues in the secondary, because of how disastrous they were at the linebacker level, he was not able to, to execute that as well as he would have liked, and they became really predictable. And what Jackson will give them is naturally more of a disguise-based tendency just because of the way they run certain coverage stuff, locked coverages where you have one man in man coverage and everyone else zoning up. That's a big part of what Brandon said he wants to run, and he was unable to do that last year. So you get kind of more of these natural disguised packages, which is really something quite bland, but it's kind of tough for the quarterback to pick up. So to me, I think it's a brilliant bit of business to get him in the open market below the Jalen Ramsey level. He's obviously not Jalen Ramsey, but given it was on the open market and not a re-sign of a player, I think is is an excellent bit of business, particularly for that team. And when you include the fact that they have, obviously, the Herbert rookie deal, and it's just – The timeline is so set up for them so perfectly with the Mac deal, with this deal, with the Joseph Day deal, to push the chips in now. When else are they going to do it? You may as well push in all the way now. This is the best corner on the market, and they just went and got it done.
1: Best corner on the market, and not just that. They go and add Khalil Mack via a trade, supposedly. Obviously, we're waiting for that to be confirmed. It can't be yet. They add Sebastian Joseph Day to play on the inside for seemingly that same contract that every good defensive tackle got three years, $30 million. Yeah, we talked a lot last week about how good the quarterbacks are in the AFC West and Brandon Staley's going, look, we're going to load up and we're going to make sure that we've got the best defense in that division.
2: Yeah, I think this is so much about that run defense. That It was, so, I mean, it was historically terrible last year and he wants to play with five down linemen and two deep safeties and then have everyone move after the snap. To, to your point, two disguise things for quarterbacks to really disrupt things up front in the run game. And he just was not able to do that last year. They were such a disaster. So much nerdy coaching term, vertical displacement, Will, of that first level. Essentially, those guys inside were not big enough and would just get mauled off the ball. Go watch the Houston game. It was embarrassing. They were getting pushed around by guys who should not be in the NFL for big, big holes and big, big gains. And so they said, go and get me a big player to play inside and just to bully people and then go get me Khalil Mack on the edge and we will run everything as one-on-one across the board just as the Rams do to try and free up Aaron Donald and their edge rushes Leonard Floyd and Von Miller. And then I will find a way to scheme up one-on-one for Joey Bosa and
1: Khalil Mack and good luck to everyone else in the NFL. And
2: that is what this move does. The two of them together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. Um, Defensively. We've also uh, got in that same AFC West, the, we see the Kansas city chiefs looking like they're moving on from Tyron Matthew not offered a contract. They bring in Texan safety, Justin Reed, who, you know, I'm not going to call like for like by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they also allow Chavarius Ward to move on. He goes to the 49ers on a three-year deal. We'll talk that first, but what do you see from the Chiefs' defence with these moves? Uh, I'm fascinated by what
2: they're trying to do. I, I wasn't in the camp where I thought they had to bring Matthew back. I mean, he is so much of what they do schematically because of how much they can move him around and they are a team who gets to the exact same coverage shell through all these crazy wacky rotations because of where they can move Tyron Matthew. And I did think it was time for some kind of adjustment there and maybe trying to piece it together through three or four pieces so that you're not just relying on this one guy moving around and if he gets injured because the injury track record isn't great or, you know, starts to fall off a cliff as he gets into his thirties. So I did feel it was just about the right time to maybe move on from him and try to piece together. You know, they read it, the Frank Clark deal to free up some cap space, but keep him there. And if he's engaged, he's still an okay player. So I, I did feel like it was the right time to maybe it's just a cap crunch, right? Someone was going to have to go to try and piece that Matthew role together and to change the defense a little bit, I think is the right approach.
1: What do you make of Ward in San Francisco? I mean, a team who've been desperate for, I think he becomes probably their de facto first corner, but a second corner opposite Emmanuel Mosley. We saw how many problems they had, both with the number of defensive pass interference penalties they gave up last year, but just in coverage in general, could not defend the deep ball for love nor money.
2: No, and they just could never play man coverage, and it's such a killer when you get to third down, even with as good as that pass rush is. And when you think about it logically, you think back to those great Giants teams, and you're like, okay, great four-man pass rush, and then zone coverage, and everyone's eyes are on the football, and we're going to have tons of picks, and we're going to run to the Super Bowl. At some point, you've got to play man coverage in the NFL, and they just could not do it last year. So to me, it's as much about adjusting the defensive profile as it is just going against a guy. This is a guy who plays purely boundary corner, press man coverage don't bother me with anything else and I might get beat sometimes you know he gets beat for big plays that's kind of his thing but he will give you 60 snaps of really good man coverage and D'Amico Ryans was just begging last season forgive me someone who I can plant on somebody and at least battle them maybe he doesn't win every rep but he can just battle them and I can feel comfortable calling more man coverage which is just going to be huge for the Niners
1: yeah massive for. Uh... What are doing with that uh, with that scheme there? Um, a few other uh, moves on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Hassan Redick, talk to me about that uh, to Philly.
2: Love that one. Again, that's that's just a purely trying to change their profile. I think. I mean, last year they blitzed on 16% of dropbacks, so they were just this, trying to do this organic pass rush, send no pressure, and they were just torn up. I think they finished 28th, 29th, and adjusted sack rate at the end of, uh, of the season. And I just do not know what Jonathan Gannon, their DC, wants to be. I don't think he has any clue himself. So at least with Hassan Redding, you get a guy who can play all these different spots. His underlying numbers are sensational. He gets sacks, he gets hurries, he gets pressures. He's done it in multiple systems now in two different spots, first in Arizona, then in Carolina. And he came into the league, right, as that guy you could move in all these different areas. And, you know, he's got this funky body type where could he play off the ball and then he can play on the ball. And as his career has progressed, it's just purely go and be a dip and rip pass rusher, go and pressure the quarterback. And we know you'll get blown up in the run game and we know you'll be a liability there for us. But when we need someone to go and pressure the quarterback on second and eight, on third and long, the guy has real juice and they just needed to add some speed to their defensive front. And I actually think from a money perspective to skill set perspective, that's probably the best deal, I think, as, as we tape um, before midday Eastern time on day two frame that that's the one I like the most as fit to what they need plus uh, just cap value.
1: I think about that Philly team that obviously went to and won the Super Bowl. And all I think about is that D-line power, speed, and the ability to rotate as well. Depth, I yeah. guess, being the key. And they just, as those players have aged out and either been given far too big contracts for their age or been allowed to move on, hasn't been any addition there. And yeah, I, I think you bang on. It feels like the, the right deal for the right team, even if... Yeah, I think if another team adds Reddick for that sort of money, you're thinking, is he going to get the production that you're looking for for that?
2: I feel like for them, remember, they went through that run where they just loved getting the 34-year-old one last ride pass rushers, their fourth guy, and they (laughs) went through the Chris. Chris Long was a great hit, but then there were some whiffs. This one, they're like, if you look at through the pass rushes that are available, you're looking at uh, Chandler Jones, Von Miller, again, in that upper-tier echelon but who want big time peak of our powers money and that's not the case right they're getting him right in the prime of his career he has the best get off of any pass rusher available and so for once they said let's just push the money up a little bit because we don't have the guys you know we don't have Fletcher Cox at uh, the height of his game Brandon Graham at the height of his game anymore we need some real raw athleticism and you I mean you can see it you go back to that books game you can tell when a team just doesn't have the athletes and they know. And they were one of the most out defences in the league where they just didn't have the athletes to compete at the, the, the height of the playoffs. And, and this is, now I'm going to get an A-plus athlete. Whether he's a great football player in every down is a different question, but they finally got themselves an A-plus athlete
1: up front. Now, part of the reason I wanted to kind of split it, defence and offence, is because I feel like the offensive moves have a lot more question marks on <laughs> them. <laughs> we are going to be having some, which uh, I just... Don't make any sense to me whatsoever. Let's look at a couple we like first. Mm-hmm. Um, Laken Tomlinson going to the Jets. I mean, from a 49ers perspective, his growth over the past season and a half has, has been astonishing to see to the point where he became incredibly important to that run scheme and, and what they're doing in San Francisco. And they've got some young players there who are going to have to make a massive step up in his place because they simply couldn't afford to keep him. It's that thing of if you develop a guy to a point where he's good enough to get a big contract, you better be giving him a big contract. So couldn't keep their own guy and the Jets get someone who seemingly should fit their scheme considering they're in theory running the 49ers scheme.
2: Yeah. It's that wide zone, then boot system that kind of the entire league is running at this point. And I agree with you that he fits them from that macro sense. My only concern is I just hate signing a player and moving his position. I just never get that where you, you evaluate a guy and say, okay, he's playing great at left guard. Let's send him a bag. To go and move to right guard, and I'm like, oh, that's that that's a rough one because they've got AVT, who they drafted last year, who was probably their best lineman, even in his rookie year for the Jets, and he played left guard. So now either he's got to move or Tomlinson has to move, and there's this whole thing out there that moving left guard, right guard isn't as big a deal as moving left tackle, right tackle. And I just think in the modern game, that is complete nonsense. So much of the sport now is played either with a split front where it's really wide defensive structures laterally across the field, and you have to play one-on-one, no center help, in the guard spot in a really wide split stance. So you're basically playing from second and third down like the tacklers these days. You do not get sent to help anymore and teams now because of the advent of zone pressures, creeper pressures, all these different things, it's really easy to scheme up what's called 5-0 man blocking protection. So it's, it's like we took like um, the Super Bowl's the easy example, right? Raheem himars, five guys down. What can you do as an offense? There's nothing you can do but say, we're blocking all of them, I guess. And if they send five, they send five, maybe they send four, but you as in the line are saying I've got him you've got him you've got him so it's so simple now for defenses to to scheme up 1v1 blocking so to move people across it's just completely different the lead foot is different the spatial awareness is different and there'll be Jets fans listening screaming at their phone now saying he played right guard in college he played right guard in college I agree I know that it was a completely different system. Will, you just articulated it before. It was that lead step, horizontal, crash down one side of the line, right, and let the running back read it out, and we all have a good time, and elephants on parade, and all that fun stuff. It was not that at Duke. It was him being the hammer, right? He was the hammer. He was a young guy. He's a hammer in the run game. He's a big, big fella, great feet, and they just bulldoze behind him at Duke. So it's a really different system to move laterally to your wrong side where they would lead off off the left or right, depending on where they're going to put him. So I'm fascinated to see how they figure out that offensive line shuffle. Because I, I just, I don't know, handing a guard 10 million year, who's a good player, not a great one. And then say, do you mind moving positions when he's, as you said, Will, it's been a pretty decent leap for him. Detroit bailed on him as a first round pick because he did not play well. And he took a long time to develop Ben in San Francisco. And he was a good player and he fit perfectly in that system. But I don't know paying that kind of money to ask someone to move positions is, is just not for me
1: let's talk about the jacksonville jaguars uh now i'm going to preface this by saying we talked a lot about john snyder and the seahawks last week and this week we're going to be talking a lot about trent balky and for modern day football historians so people who just want to look at the last 15 years or so i feel like as much as his inner demons ruined scott McLuhan's own career His ability to draft and be able to identify diamonds in the rough and his uh, just brilliant reading of players has made the career of at least two men who do not deserve to have had the career they've had. And Trent Bolke has gone, essentially, I'm not popular here. Everyone seemed to think that I was the reason we couldn't get the head coach we wanted. So I'm going to go all in here and it's either going to be a devastating rebuild again for Jacksonville or somehow I'm going to pull this off. I just, I don't, I don't see him pulling it off. I mean, he's
2: doing himself no favors because, you know, they were trying to do these backdoor leaks that maybe, uh, you know, they what they all say now, Will, you hear this in every single sport across the world, right? England, cricket, everyone, we must be aligned. Our vision must be aligned. And the Jags were like, we're not hiring a coach. We're trying to keep everything aligned. And we've decided Trent is the guy. And so they must see players eye to eye. What a great look for Byron Leftwich because if he's not aligned with the vision of handing $17 million to Christian Kirk, come and be my coach next year. Yes, please. Because that is just a, a ludicrous deal. This The thing with free agency, there's always going to be overpays, and particularly when you're trying to microwave success like the Jags are. And I get that. And I think that the Brandon Scherf deal was a decent deal. But guy, the, the Christian Kirk... If, if he stays healthy... If he stays healthy, he's a top five guard in the game. And I think that is a gamble worth taking with where they're at, kind of in their timeline of having Trevor Lawrence on a rookie deal. Finding those guys is so hard that you may as well take the gamble. And if it, he gets injured, he gets injured. And it's just one of those things. But if he's available, you'll know, at least he'll be an A-plus player for you at that position. The Kirk one, this is the thing with frames. You, you have to, I've written, this is in the magazine, which is available on newsstands now, Well. Good plug.
1: Beautiful. Um, well
2: done. I i wrote in there this kind of central tenants that GMs and decision makers must follow to kind of win frame scene. And the main one, which goes back always to the Patriot way, is you fall in love with the player profile and not the player. You have to, like the Patriots, like Scott McLuhan that you mentioned there, assign a value, traditionally a percentage of the cap rather than a contract to each and every position on your roster. And you say, We believe our guard is 6% of the cap. And so you go and offer that contract around, whatever that number winds up being for that season. This is what we value the position at in our system, in our scheme, what it means to us. It's 6%, it's 7%. Who wants it? That's what the pages do. It's JC Jackson, you're worth, we think 9% of our cap. Oh, you can go and get 13% from the charges. We'll see you later. See you down the line. Best of luck. That's what the smart teams do. There is no way, no way that Jacksonville's player profile metric says their slot receiver is worth $17 million a year. Braxton Berrios got 7 million guaranteed and Braxton Berrios is a decent player. There's not that much of a gulf between Berrios and Christian Kerr. That is a value play for the player profile for a third option slot receiver who runs option routes for you. So it's just a baffling, baffling move to me.
1: Uh, they did go and, as you say, they made the Brandon Scherf deal, we know that Cam Robinson's sticking around. They have the number one overall pick, which has got to be considered in all of this. And it still feels like they'll head to the trenches on that, on one side of the ball or the other. Yeah, I'm all for building in that way. Just, receiver, we are now at a point in the NFL where, because of the nature of the fact that we're playing so much more five wide four wide and following that out of college as well every year we look at the wide receiver draft and go oh it's a really strong (laughs) wide receiver draft this year isn't it and every year four five six guys emerge where you go wow that was a great rookie season i just feel like we're at a point where you don't have to overpay for receiver talent yeah there are top guys who will get top contracts but it just it, It's one of those positions. You overpay for a left tackle. You overpay for a pass rusher. You overpay for a lockdown corner. You don't overpay for a receiver, particularly not a slot receiver. No, and, and to your point there, ask any evaluator
2: for this draft class. They will have nine receivers in the top 40. It's really concentrated at the top that these are great, great players. And as you mentioned, because of the spread in, in college, there are guys there every year. And I get, look, they, they tried that last year, right? They rumbled through with a bunch of rookies. One got injured, a guy they were going to play in the backfield and as a as a slot receiver. And they decided we need someone who, you know, knows a route tree and we don't have to kind of uh, bring along super slowly and hold their hand whilst Trevor Lawrence is trying to figure out. So I get maybe go and get a veteran guy. And I would have considered going to Alan Robinson and saying, here's a ludicrous amount of money for one year. We'll
1: give you $27 million for one year. The to come Amari- back and, and 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 it it won't even be uh, you know, we will have a half decent quarterback throwing to you for the first yeah. time. That's yeah, it would be the best quarterback Alan Robinson's ever played with, which yeah. is maybe not saying something too much, but a low bar. And you look at the Amari Cooper one, right? The Browns
2: seal that deal before the, the market opens, and it's basically a $20 million one-year option. They will never pay the second year, they'll renegotiate that for a fifth round pick as opposed to paying Christian Kirk, $84 million. And I understand that's the top end number and everyone will say it's only X guaranteed. It still works out to be $17 million. Yeah, and they're in it for two years it's just it's just not a good use of resources. When you pair that with them paying an off-ball linebacker $15 million a year, too, they, they just, whatever, as I mentioned before, you have to come out with, be really strong and firm with player profile, not the player. And it's so clear they fell in love with the idea of Christian Kirk is 25, his best football's ahead of him, they didn't use him correctly in Arizona because it's a really predictable system, and we think we can use him in a more creative way. And they wanted the player, not the player profile at that price. And he just doesn't slot into the rest of the stuff they have around them. I mean, Chalk went to the Lions for, what, $30 million for a season? Prove it deal? That is such a better deal than giving Christine Kirk $70 million a year. I
1: just, I cannot fathom it. And maybe he wanted to get out of the city. Maybe he wasn't happy in Jacksonville, but... Yeah, when they're also paying Zay Jones on top of that, when they're Ugh. also paying Evan Ingram Ugh. on top of that, you know, nine million for the Ingram. Evan Ingram
2: one. I'm going to lose my mind on the Evan Ingram one. If I hear another, this is people who are uh, not taking shot shots, play fantasy football, do that stuff. Maybe they play some Madden and he looks like he should be a great player. And he, it, it, we're still going off his drafting. I'm seeing people saying he was using correctly with the with the Giants because he should be flexed around the formation. He played 70% of his snaps in the slot last year and PFF chats a charts thing called slot plus which means he's really playing in the slot and not doing the thing where it's kind of murky the alignment because of where the tight end lines up over 50 percent of his snaps are as a true slot receiver he's not even a tight end anymore and he's been terrible so i just i just i, I yeah I, i'm lost I, I will say back just quickly to them having the first overall pick i get the if you're deploying resources correctly, you would say we should give that to Aiden Hutchinson, right? It feels like this guarantees Aiden Hutchinson, go and get yourself a top-end pass rusher because you've built out with the free agency around the young quarterback. But man, would it be funny if they drop Evan Neal, Charles Cross or Ike (laughs) McWano on that group? I mean, you could just say, we're going to have Robinson, Cross, um, Scherf, and we're going to have just a mauling line for the next four years. And with the way the game's going and how much if you follow the trends of, point efficiency on offense versus the playoffs, it's like you're really trying to thread a needle by having a good defense, you know, thread the needle. Whereas with an offense, you have a, a top 10 efficiency offense. You make the playoffs every year. So maybe they could still talk themselves into doing that. Would, would you take a guard first overall and have a kneel to play him inside or, or take him to move Robinson inside? I, I'm not sure. I still,
1: that, that still gets me a bit excited. And I mean, they've got plenty of talent at pass rush as well, it's fair to say. So yeah, maybe the Janks are going to be good this year. um (laughs) let's uh let's talk I don't know who should be more offended that we've ignored them the current AFC champions or just quarterbacks in general uh but let's talk about the Bengals Mm -hmm. they're bringing in solid looking successful offensive linemen there's there's still part of me that struggles with the fact that they've drafted so many linemen high and the fact that they've not been able to develop them. And maybe this comes down to Zach Taylor. Maybe it comes down to the hires internally. It feels like offensive line is one of those things outside of your really top tier talent as a position that you can develop over time. But they know what their weakness is and they've gone and spent on it. I guess we can't blame them for that. No and.
2: It's, it's the fact that you take the two of them together, Kappa and Karras, and that's cheaper than the Lakin Tomlinson deal. And I do like them saying, darts at a dartboard, guys. We've got this special quarterback. We know the line is a travesty. Let's just throw darts in frenzy. see. Maybe we take one in the draft again. And maybe one of our guys does develop during training camp. And we're kind of excited that he looks a lot better than he did last year. And let's just try and bring in three or four guys and hope that there's a shuffle where five of them are decent enough. I mean, this is about raising the floor, right? From being one of the worst three groups in the league to if your bottom. Eight, that's better, and Joe Burrow is pretty special. That, that that's what they're dealing with, and you're dealing with also with an ownership group who does not guarantee beyond the first year. So to get into the Ryan Jensen sweepstakes they were talking about, it, it becomes really hard when every other agent or your agent saying every other team is guaranteeing you three years of salary, but the Bengals are guaranteeing you one year. It, it becomes tough. They kind of limit their own pool on that. The only thing I'll say for the super nerds out there is this again in terms of profile of player. They, they ran this really strange kind of passive system last year in terms of pass protection, where it's basically latch and shuffle, grab on, shuffle, and you get a ton of holding penalties, and they were really passive bringing in Capra and Karras, those are really aggressive players in pass protection. Pass pro should never be passive and they get after it. They want to win early in the rep. And if they get whipped, they get whipped. And, you know, hopefully the ball's out and Joe Burrow gets, you know, can spin away and do some magic. But they really fight aggressively early in the rep. And that is a completely different style of lineman than they had last year. So they've definitely identified the fact that what they were trying to do with having really fleet-footed, slender guys who could move and bounce and hopefully buy time for Burrow was not working. And they want guys who can demolish people early in the rep. And if that fails, they'll just bank on Burrow to go and make some magic himself out of structure.
1: Um, Just a quick mention as well, while we're talking Bengals, something that's just dropped while we've been away. Completely expected, but uh, Andrew Whitworth has announced his retirement in the last 20 minutes or so. A guy obviously spent so many years in Cincinnati and deservedly hailed as as part of the Rams team. I loved the story that we repeated a number of times on air, but about Whitworth bringing Joe Burrow into his home and them rehabbing their knees together. And he's clearly one of the NFL's good guys. I suspect he'll be in the Bengals' Ring of Honor, whatever they call it, in that city, uh, within the next few months, unveil that on day one of the season. Uh, Arguably a Hall of Fame player as well, but a guy who I thought at 40 years old, after giving up a after giving up a very early sack in that game, basically played lights out in a Super Bowl. Yep. So you've got to give him love for that.
2: At least 40. And if they hadn't won, he'd probably be back playing at an elite level, right? This is like, well, I did it now. And I'm 40 years old. I'm going to go spend some time with the kids. It's what it seems like. And then-, <laughs> and so, and then the, so what
1: you're saying is we will be back in six
2: weeks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you said wait a couple of months for the Ring of Honor, I guess, until they play games. Put him in tonight. I mean, he's that special. When you go through the list of Bengals who are like at the elite of their craft, it, he might be the finest of them all until you get back to the the, the early glory days, you know, in terms of just quality at his own position. So just a special,
1: special player. Uh, let's talk the quarterbacks then. Two moves, one which has been roundly uh, mocked, I think it's fair to say, uh, um, but arguably still an upgrade. But let's start with Teddy <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater to the Dolphins. You know, Mike McDaniel comes in, everyone's expecting that he's gonna do something special, that he's gonna make Tua work, that in theory Tua fits the scheme. So what's the thinking behind this?
2: Yeah, I, I'm not so sure Tua does fit the scheme. I think that's what Mike McDaniel is betting on. It's an insurance policy on that wide zone then boot system, which Bridgewater can one mer- can run merrily versus trying to slide too into it. What the Dolphins did last year was really fascinating in terms of their, their style of offense. Really RPO-dense system with the style of RPOs that no one else is running in the NFL. Deep vertical shots, second-level reads, the kind that is just not made its way through the majority league outside of maybe Green Bay, and doing it in a style that I have kindly referred to, Will, as the kamikaze style, which is we're <laughs> going to read off the safety for the route com. The nation, But we're going to unblock the first level defender. So the plan here is to get the ball 10 yards downfield before this 350 pounder nails our uh, quarterback whose hip is obliterated. This is why it all went to ruin at the end, by the way, because that is an unsustainable system. And when you're running so many RPOs, you know, everyone loves to run the RPOs and everyone always goes, oh, he's the greatest RPO quarterback of all time, which is a really strange thing to say. And I've been guilty of saying it myself, too, because it's still limited. And the gap, the gap between the first best RPO guy of all time and the second is, you know, paper thin. Guys in high school run RPOs all night, you know, so it just became a really predictable style so i don't know how mike mcdaniel was ever going to blend that rpo stuff with what he does and those two things don't flow naturally where you could run his wide zone stuff one snap and then the next snap you you move in some of that rpo stuff so this to me is just a pure insurance policy of we are not keeping any of the stuff that helped to in the past where he was pretty decent it was just a very limited system But it's just like, if he cannot run my stuff, I need to have a veteran I can go to in week three and just say, look, the guy's not got it. Which is funny because those early early videos and all the early leaks and early billings was that Mike McDaniel was gonna come to Miami and sprinkle magicals all over everyone and Tua was gonna be great. And this system helps everyone. And immediately when they got a chance, three hours in different, he said, let's go get insurance policy. Let's go get Teddy.
1: Mitchell Zrabisky is a Pittsburgh Steeler. There was a lot of speculation. I I said it last week. You can't go with Mason Rudolph when he wasn't even better than Duck Hodges when we saw him for an extended period of time. Were they a possible Garoppolo trade market team? Were they going to draft a guy uh, and stick with Rudolph and try and develop him? I mean, he's hardly a bridge guy either, Rudolph. It turns out that they go with Mitchell Trubisky, who uh, it's fair to say has flamed out already in the league. But. Did have one of the worst possible situations from a coaching, scheming, maybe not talent, but close to as well situation that he had in Chicago. Is it worth the punt? I mean, why not? What else are you going to do? I think th- this seems similar to when
2: he got to Chicago, right? And they had Dalton or whatever, or, or whatever it was back then. And then they, they, they draft Trubisky. You bring Trubisky and if you can get a Malik Willis without having to move up in the draft, you take that project and you you know, you know buy yourself some time but you can throw Trubisky out there. It, I just I just don't know what I cannot abide is this notion that because Brian Dayball was interested as the second party that must mean he has intel so Trubisky must be good it's like we all watch the games <laughs> I mean, he was terrible in spot duty in Buffalo it's like people saying well he was hidden behind the scenes for a year and Brian Dayball were with him it's like well if Brian Dayball knew he was that good they'd have just gone and got him You know, it's like, well, Ryan Dable finished second in the running. So Trubisky must be good. It's like, well, I watched him play in small snaps against Indianapolis and he was as horrific as ever. So I I don't know. It's just they had to do something right. To your point, it's like they had to do something. And I guess this is something and you take him and then you draft the quarterback and you just hope for the best.
1: The market for quarterbacks is shrinking as much as we won't suggest the quality is there, but we've had the Deshaun Watson news over recent days, which I mean, people listen to the podcast before this season, they'll know how strongly we feel about everything happening there. And whoever does go and end up trading for him, if it does happen sooner rather than later, and that's not just agent speak. Now that the initial legal situation out of the way and Roger can step in, don't expect him to play in 2022 is what I would say. But I start to look at, is Jimmy Garoppolo going to land anywhere? Do we see some kind of trade that involves other teams moving pieces around? Like, I don't see the Colts going for Deshaun Watson, but I could see the Colts looking for one of the quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson. Could displace. We've been hearing about Matt Ryan, for example, uh, in the last uh, in the last 24 hours or so. So it's it's fascinating and one to keep tracking. And obviously, at Gridiron on Twitter at UK Gridiron on Instagram, keep an eye on all of our locations there for exactly what we expect to happen, how we react to what happens. Uh, there'll be plenty more on there. I'm just seeing what we haven't touched on yet because I feel like we've done a pretty decent job of of through that. St- I did have I did have a personal gripe about the Cowboys looking to apparently move Lael Collins but now re-signing Randy Gregory to a five-year deal with everything else that's going on uh, in uh, I mean this feels like the most Dallas re-sign our guys deal uh, I've maybe ever seen out of them and that's a really long list when it comes to uh comes to Jera and his team out there and it's
2: just like such a mismanagement the cap to be paying Ezekiel Elliott 18 million dollars whilst having Lyle Collins walk out the door when we know how infinitely more valuable even a below-average lineman is than an above-average running back, right? Like, you could just plug anyone in behind that line when it's good and Dak's rolling and the scheme is on fire. is he clearly it helps them, not a jot, and they're paying him $80 million next year, and now Collins will have to leave. And I, I would look for Collins. I think if I'm Cincinnati, you know, as we mentioned before, they have to exhaust every avenue to try and improve that thing. And if you can come away with Karras – Uh, Kappa, Lyle Collins, and then go into the draft. It's like that is starting to look really
1: spicy (laughs) heading into next season. Uh, One, one second, however, on top of that, and I don't know, right. We maybe need to cut all this out. Maybe we'll leave it in anyway. Uh, Apparently the Denver Broncos have made a move for Randy Gregory and that deal hasn't been signed in Dallas. And, well, Dallas tweeted that he'd agreed to terms on a five-year deal. The Broncos responded with their own tweet about 10 minutes (laughs) later going, surprise! (laughs) And Vic Lombardi is reporting that he's going to the Broncos, not to the Cowboys. Wow. I mean, if that actually happens, that is astonishing that the team have actually gone out there. I can't work out whether it's worse than the Seahawks' own Twitter account tweeting out that Wilson video last week or, (laughs) oh, my God, that's horrible. That's why I mean it's so fast moving it's ridiculous and uh, it will be more and more so over the coming weeks. Uh look Ollie I love sitting here and listening uh, to you and chatting with you about this stuff cuz I feel like uh, I've got a much better idea of where everyone is going to be now after these last two days. But we all know the best moves in free agency happen after the first couple of days of madness. And it's where you start to find those gems that have somehow managed to fall by the wayside. So we will keep an eye across all those moves. You will be able to follow them across our social media accounts. Um, have we got any bonus content planned for this week at the moment? Or should I keep them and keep an eye out?
2: Yes, it will be dependent on this free agency. I I'm, I'm just want to know what's happening with Toronto Armstead. There is a left, t- a league average left tackle when not healthy and when healthy, one of the three best in the game. Available right now. We could go inside him now, Will, if we had the budget. You know, he's just out hanging out there looking for a job and no one stepped up to hand him the biggest the biggest bag in the NFL. I just, that is baffling to me. So yes, uh, we'll, we'll keep abreast of everything over the next few
1: days. And then yes, there will be bonus content out later in the week. Beautiful stuff. If you don't already subscribe, you listen listening for the first time, make sure to hit subscribe, give us a rating and a review. It does help more people find the show as well, uh, whether on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you end up doing so. And we'd love to hear from you at Gridiron on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the new format. Let us know if there's any topics you want us to deep dive on with Ollie. Uh, we, we all crowdsource this stuff. We will get into it uh, if you want us to get into it. So thank you so much for listening. As always, this has been the Gridiron Show.
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group prohibited by law. See terms
2: and conditions 18 plus.
0: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.